Dr. Candace Bradshaw, President, Doctors Manitoba, rejoins the program. Good afternoon, uh, Doctor. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I want to readdress some of the issues that we kind of touched on a little bit in a different angle last week with you, and it's just the, the idea that report, not the idea, the reports are the zero bed capacity this weekend. We also had a listener uh, we interviewed yesterday who's been waiting four days in Gimli for a bed in Grace Hospital uh, to have surgery on a broken ankle. Um, I guess just what are the actual numbers of bed availability right now, to your knowledge? You know, I don't have the exact numbers from last weekend, but what I can tell you is that the number of patients waiting in emergency rooms for admission in Winnipeg, to be admitted to hospital, that is, is two or three times higher than we've seen before the pandemic. So, for example, there was a week at the end of August this year where there was an average of 45 patients waiting for admission up to a, a bed in the hospital from the eMERGE. Um, before the pandemic, that number would be 17 or 20. So that's a big change to go to 45. And when you talk that increase, where what does that do to? So I would say that's due to a few things, but the number one reason that our physicians identify would be output. So meaning that there aren't enough beds available in the hospital to admit patients to. So what that means is there are patients admitted in the emergency room waiting to be transferred upstairs to a bed. And while they're waiting in those emergency room spots, sometimes right now for days on end, like six, seven days I'm hearing, um, then those are spaces in the emergency that could have been used to put a patient from the waiting room into the eMERGE to be seen and treated. And Dr. Bradshaw, just to clarify on what a bed represents, I, I hear some um, conflicting stories from, from some people that a bed could mean there is a bed literally available, but not the staff to, to work around that bed. I also hear that like a, a bed in the hallway is, is considered um, one thing as opposed to like a bed in an actual room. Can you clarify what zero beds or, or an increase in, th- in that percentage that you just gave out of a bed represents? Yeah, so absolutely. You can have an empty shell of a room with a bed and equipment, but it doesn't mean anything without the human human resources. So physicians, nurses primarily to be able to staff those positions um, and healthcare workers in general. So um, human resources are a main, main, pardon me, major reason for another part of this backlog. Um, there aren't enough staff to staff those rooms. There aren't enough staff in the emergency rooms themselves. And the staff that are there and that exist are working a lot of overtime and are very burned out. And I know our physicians are very concerned about that. Yeah, and so am I. And I think a lot of our listeners are too about the burnout and and that. Um, But I, I wonder, like, so when we hear that there is a bed literally available but not staffed, I understand why that's not considered a bed. Um, but is that a, a strictly a staffing issue in your mind? It certainly is primarily a staffing issue at the moment. And that's just a shortage of workers, I, I would presume. Well, it's partly a shortage of workers. It's also partly uh, workers that are working right now uh, have been working 110% every single day, every single shift for the last few years. And that's not something you can maintain. So there might be increased sick calls. There might be um, extended LOAs. You never know um, because you kind of get to a breaking point. So the staff that are there need a break.
Right. And to be fair, in the summer, there's holidays. There's holidays in the winter as well. And and if somebody, you know, I'm, I'm not one to say that the, the frontline workers in the healthcare industry don't need holidays as well. Absolutely. So a refreshed physician and a refreshed nurse is going to provide you better care and there will be less errors, um, more empathy. It's just better for everyone, physician, nurse, patients, all around. Better care. How dire is the situation in your mind, um, Dr. Bradshaw, when we just hear like the, the lady that let us know that she's been waiting in Gimli for a bed at Grace for four days to have ankle surgery? Um, when we hear these stories, I know it probably doesn't surprise you because you're on the front lines, but, but what does it say about where we're at in, in the province for healthcare? I mean, I've certainly never seen it like this myself, um, and I've been at this for 21 years now. Um, so uh, another example would be a patient of mine who was stuck uh, with a compound fracture in their leg, uh, waiting seven days for surgery while admitted in hospital last week, um, calling here, wanting me to help. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I know I can't do very much for them. Um, and I know that my colleagues in the hospital wanting to operate and get things going are feeling at least just as badly about that. So, I mean, this is very unusual and it's something I haven't seen before. And also I want to ask you about, like, so we hear about the, the 100-hour shifts and, or, well, the 100 hours a week or whatever the shifts, the overtime, the, that I can't imagine um, what it's like for you as a doctor, your colleagues, or even the nurses on the front lines also to not be able to help someone in that situation when you do get a phone call like that. I mean, you got into the medical industry to help people. It tugs at your heartstrings in a way I can't even describe because you just want to do uh, your best for everyone. And the longer the waits kind of drag on, um, the lower the standard of care. That's just the way it's going to go. And the more dangerous things become. And that's the last thing any of us want. Exactly. I, I agree with you on that. So I wanted to ask you now again, as we did last week, and, and I hate to put you on the spot, but I appreciate you joining us to um, give us your opinions and your thoughts and your insight. What, where do we start with this then? When we hear that you have a patient that's waited for a leg surgery for seven days, the, the lady who has a broken ankle and can't even uh, leave the Gimli hospital waiting for surgery, where do we start with trying to address this? Is it just simply with the provincial government or are there other avenues that we should be looking at right now? You know, I think it's a complex problem, um, but it has been studied in the past, um, and some of these issues have been around for 10, 20 years. So what's changed is our population has grown, people are living longer, there's more complex health issues, um, but we know that studies have been done. There, there was a report out a few years ago, which was commissioned by our government, that identifies some opportunities to improve. Um, and also something that would go a long way is sitting down with physicians who have ideas and can put forth some suggestions on how to maybe start rebuilding and improving. Um, and if we could address some of the burnout and early retirements that we're seeing with the staff that are working hard right now, um, if the health system can tackle that, deal with some of the excessive overtime, excessive paperwork, too much administrative burden, and engage doctors and nurses, then hopefully we can keep more of the existing staff that we have for much longer. And how confident are you that we're in the process of that? Has it started? Are we getting somewhere as we go into the fall with this? Or is it just something that we're discussing right now that needs to begin, at least with some of those uh, answers? 
Uh, I'd say that we're beginning already, um, and we're hearing um, that the government is willing to sit down and engage and listen to us. Uh, We have a rural summit happening next week in Portage La Prairie, where uh, physicians, nurses, and um, the Manitoba Chamber of Commerce representatives are all coming together, as well as uh, government representatives, to discuss some of these problems and start brainstorming the solutions ASAP. And uh, we go from there. So we appreciate you uh, uh, joining us once again, Dr. Bradshaw, some great insight and uh, opinions there. We thank you for this, and we'll probably follow up after that conference and uh, see uh, if we can have some more of your time on what was discussed and what some answers may be. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Rihanna's going to write a new song specifically for my next guest that says, please don't stop the news, the CFL news. Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation joins me once again. How are you, sir? Doing well. That would be amazing, but I don't think she's ever going to write a song about me. Uh, You never know. I hold out hope. You know, you're very (laughs) dynamic. I appreciate you joining me once again. It's been a while since we've had you on to talk some CFL. I I don't think there's a lot of Rihanna blaring in Saskatchewan right now. Definitely not. They want the party to stop and change the whole tune, man. <laughs> stop stop the music. we got to make some changes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you are live at Riders Practice. We want to talk Bombers, CFL, and everything with you. But I, I just i am interested, and I'm not making fun of them at all, but it's been quite the year, a lot of tumultuous times, uh, if you will, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. What's the atmosphere like at today's practice? Well, Cody Fajardo just left, and that's apparently for the birth of his first child. So that's the main storyline. It's raining here in Regina, so it's a little dreary. It's kind of an overcast day, and it's been like this season. The riders have had this cloud that they can't get away and allow the sun to shine through, and their best play stand out all year yet. So I think it's very apropos today, the weather. Indeed. Um, What's the feeling after the 54-20 loss to the Bombers, because I, I was talking about it on our station, Justin, and I said, you know, it's I don't think the Riders, despite the food poisoning or however many guys are out of the lineup or whatever was happening there, but I, I just felt, I said, look, they don't have to win this game. I don't think they're going to win this game. But given what the season has gone like, I think it's a, a game where they have to sort of at least solidify themselves as a team and move forward in one direction. And despite losing by that much, I kind of felt that they did that a little bit. Is there any of that chatter at all going in and around the Riders today? Not really. I think a lot of people in Regina and Ryder Nation and Saskatchewan felt like that game was never going to be a win because of the rash of whatever went through them. It seems like it was food poisoning through the team. So I think they're kind of being given a reprieve for that game. And for that fact, people are just writing it off. But I think they're more looking at the Labor Day Classic, Cody Fajardo playing better in his last few games after getting booed off the field before that so I think that's more of the talk here around Ryder Nation is the fact that they had that sickness so even though it does go down as a loss in the loss column I still think Winnipeg would have won that game regardless but it's maybe not as bad in Ryderville as some people are pointing it out to be. Indeed Um, I want to ask you about the Bombers in a way that I know Mike O'Shea would absolutely hate but how good is this Bomber team in your mind? (laughs) He would not like that, but they are very good and put it on the riders, obviously, and then found a way to win in the Labor Day Classic in Regina, much to the dismay of Rider Nation. And the Blue Bombers just continue to find ways 
to win. I think Zach Kolaris has been better of late, and a lot of people talked about that seven-completion game against Edmonton, and we're kind of unsure about that situation, maybe a little bit, and could he bounce back from it? And Well, he's shown us he throws four touchdowns in the Banjo Bowl, and this offense is absolutely rolling with him at the controls without Andrew Harris back there. I think that question has certainly been answered because Kolaris has played so well. Yeah, indeed. Um, so what if you look at this roster, and look, I don't want to overstate it because there's a lot of football left, five weeks. Hamilton's record is what it is, but going on the road, and we've seen the Bombers struggle on the road a little bit, even though they're piling up some wins on it. Um, but what if you look at this team, would you say, you know, th- this is something that, that needs to be improved right now? That's a difficult question, man, because they just seem to perform to a high level on all sides of the football. They're very underrated, I think, on special teams, and Michael Shea is a wizard in terms of usually staying ahead in the field position game. I think that's one thing that's not talked about there. In defense, you have Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffco coming off the edges. Got Adam Big Hill at linebacker, and they got some great cover guys in the back end. I think Winston Rose had played much better so you know I think the one thing that you would want to see from that standpoint we're being really nitpicky at this point but is a consistent vertical stretch receiver for one of those guys really to pop and be able to push that defense off but they've kind of done that by committee I mean Dalton Schoen has had some big plays we saw what Rasheed Bailey did last week we know Nick Dembski can go over the top so I think there's multiple guys that can do it and that's the way they're getting it done Let's go around the CFL a little bit now and touch on the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, Jake Meyer has taken over and has looked really good as a starting quarterback. Um, where does this sit with Bo Levi Mitchell and, and sort of where he his future could be past this year? That's going to be a question for the offseason. He's going to be a free agent. His contract is up and expires in mid-February when the usual free agency period happens for the CFL. And He's going to have multiple options. You look at the quarterback situations right now in Hamilton. The Tiger Cats would surely like to have Mitchell behind center throwing passes next year. There are people in Toronto that will tell you that they're not necessarily enamored with McLeod Bessel-Thompson in the long term. And the Argos did make a play, although Jim Pop was a GM at the time, for Mitchell the last time he was a pending free agent in 2019. And then you look at the Edmonton Elks up the road from the Stampeders, and they could surely use a veteran quarterback that has multiple great cup rings and you can even look at bc because nathan rourke is likely going to go to the nfl and they potentially enter that mix i think mitchell showed flashes of his old self he's never going to be that guy but i think he was more effective than people gave him credit for there were a lot of drop balls that he had to deal with he was the starting quarterback and i don't necessarily think that it was fair overall so he's going to have options I agree with you that um, because he's not the Bo Levi Mitchell MOP caliber that we're used to, that a lot of people think he's done, and I don't think he's done. I think you make a valid point, Justin, that he's played well, just not up to his best football that we've seen. So where does that leave him? Like, does he – what is he as a quarterback in your mind going forward? Are you talking about Mitchell exactly? Yeah, Mitchell specifically. Like, what, what do you, I mean, I think the days of 400 yards and four to five TDs are kind of over with him, but I, don't, I also think that he's a starting quarterback somewhere, um, especially in this league right now. But what kind of a starting quarterback is he, in your opinion? Yeah, I think he's a starting quarterback that has experience, knows 
defenses has seen all the different schemes and stuff that you can throw a quarterback in this league. And he can be a guy that provides a winning atmosphere. I think sometimes we look at the numbers and get oohed and awed by them, by the up-and-comers, maybe by Jake Mayer. Obviously, Nathan Rourke was putting up some gaudy stats, but it's the attitude. Mitchell knows how to win championships, and there are very select group of those guys. So I think that's what he can provide to a team. And in terms of the technical and on-field aspects of being a quarterback, he knows how to read the field. He can go through his progression quickly. He was slimmed down this year. He was in much better shape. He could run a little bit more if he chose to, although he doesn't necessarily like to do it. And he's still got enough pop in his arm to be able to compete at a high level in this league. Um, one last question for you before we let you go, and I appreciate your time as always, sir, but it's around the National Football League. Week one underway. We know Chris Strebler's back on the practice roster with the Jets after a phenomenal uh, training camp. But what uh, Canadian sort of storylines are you looking at? Oh, sorry. sorry, can you repeat that, Jim? Yeah, I just wanted to say um, I, one last one for you. With the NFL season underway, we know Strebler's on the practice roster with the Jets. So what other Canadian storylines are you watching uh, during this NFL season as well? To me, the one player I'm looking at is receiver Josh Palmer out of Brampton, Ontario with the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert had a great week one, and Palmer wasn't super active in terms of the number of targets he saw from Herbert, but we saw flashes of it last year, and I think they're going to build on that rapport this year. So I look for Palmer not necessarily have like a super all-star kind of a breakout year, but more of a mini breakout, I call it, when – I think he'll bust onto the radars of more people and he could potentially be useful in fantasy next year is kind of what I see with Keenan Allen getting a little older there with the Chargers. And injured for this week too, as well as Keenan Allen. Great stuff as always, JD. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, Three Down Nation is where you read his fine work and I'm sure we'll have him back soon. All the best, sir. Sounds good, buddy. So we're just dealing with getting into uh, Mosaic Stadium and the rain and all that stuff. So no problem. Hear you, but good to be on with you. Yeah, no problem. And I appreciate you doing this. I know you were uh, traveling today and at the the practice, so I appreciate you squeezing us in your schedule. Enjoy your time there. You bet, buddy. Talk to you later. Yeah, Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation. Now, I did want to get this in right before we take a break, too. Uh, Bombers kicker Mark Leggio was on the start today on Breakfast with the Bombers, and I, I wanted to get this in as he's kind of had a – I don't want to say rejuvenation, but quite the turnaround from two weeks ago prior to the bye week. Uh, the 55-yarder that won the game at the Labor Day Classic, another good game in the Banjo Bowl as well. Here's Mark Leggio on his game-winning kick at the Labor Day Classic. Uh, as soon as it left my foot, really, uh, we, we were. it was a little bit of a windy day that day as well. So we kind of we were supposed to have the wind at that moment in the game, but it was kind of dead, so it was kind of just dead air. And uh, I guess, like, the screams of the fans were probably going to create as much wind as it could. But, uh, yeah, when I came off my foot, I saw traveling, and I, I'm like, uh, I pounded the hell out of that thing, and it just went right through. And um, it was pretty cool that the crowd was giving it to me coming on the field, but then as the ball was in the air, like, the, it just went quiet for a moment. And then as soon as it went in, you heard our fans erupt. So it was a pretty cool experience to be out there during that kick. A life of a kicker, the bye week. Prior to the bye week, the loss to Montreal, and then the game winner at the Labor Day Classic in that environment. Allegio also had this to say today on the start on 680 CJOB about building relationships off the field. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing, and especially with our team. Like Every guy in the change room is just like an awesome guy to be around and you want to hang out with. Uh, you know, when you give them a call later in life, like you just want to catch up and see how they're doing. It's uh, 
it's just such a great team environment we got here, and uh, that's what the the game of sport brings to you, right? So um, just making those connections for life is huge, and uh, you'll cherish it forever. 911.